Hey there, folks. Just Worthy Fat Kev Smith. Before we start casting the pods, man, let me try to sell you something first, okay? Do you like me? Do you like my friends Jason Muse, uh, Ralph Garman? Then guess what? We're coming to a town near you, man. Halifax, Pasadena, Ontario, and Berea, California. Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, and Orlando, Florida. Chicago, St. Louis, Atlantic City, San Diego for the Comic-Con, and Louisville, Kentucky. We're coming your way, man. Come see a Smod Co. show. Tickets at csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D dot com. Now, if you can't come to one of our shows, you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support this two-bit operation? Well, how about you kick back in your home with some family and friends and loved ones and play Monopoly. Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. That's right, man. You can buy from jayandsilentbob.com, the home of the secret stash, right there online. A signed edition of uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Me and Muse sign it, man. Jason Muse, Jay himself, me, Silent Bob. Uh, and the parts are real fun, man. They got a little cock knocker, a little fist, a little, uh, a little Suzanne, a little blunt mobile. It's crazy, man. Get your hands on it. You get drunk, get stoned, and play a round of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Available signed by me and Jason Muse at jayandsilentbob.com. Now... Here comes your Smodco podcast. Geek News Radio's commentary, not just another podcast. On the Ordinary People Podcast. Never had one lesson. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 18 with all the geeky news you can use. This is Kyle A. Barrett. I'm a voice actor for anime and video games here on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. And I'm a geek snob. You, you say you're a geek, but you hate everything geeky. Yet you love everything geeky till it comes out. Yeah, kind of, sort of. I, I kind of have a tendency to do that. <laughs> it's like this endless cycle of hate and rage. But then I end up liking, like, stuff you wouldn't assume that I would like. Let's go down the list of things that, that you actually do like, because the list of things that you don't like is like an overwhelming list. I still keep bringing it back to the first Matrix movie, even though that was like 37 years ago. <laughs> hey, the first Matrix movie is groundbreaking. It, it's awesome. And that's what I liked about it. It was it was fresh. It was original. It was unique. So I, I think that was the last, like, good, original, unique movie I saw in theaters. Everything else just feels like a bloody rehash. As I've said before, I, I have three arcade cabinets in my basement. So instead of firing up the PS3, I have more of a tendency to come downstairs and play Dragon's Lair straight out of 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, I've liked 1950s B-movies, which is funny because I wasn't even born by that time. But I really do dig like all the 1950s B-movies. I like System of a Down. <laughs> That's something that's not around anymore, technically. Well, yeah, although I think they're going to tour at least a few cities in the fall. Yeah, it's kind of slim pickings. <laughs> I really can't think of what else I really you like. Lo- you, you, okay, you love Winter Soldier. I love Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier was great. I, I like the Avengers, too. I, I didn't love it. I liked it. I, I don't really talk a lot of bad stuff about it. You enjoyed uh, Guardians, right? I didn't get to see the whole movie. Still to this day, I haven't get to see the whole movie. I went with my oldest son, and he kind of got bored towards the end. And I tried to explain to him, this is the climactic finale. This is what we sat through this for. And he was like, I just want to go. I want to go home. And that was it. I haven't seen it on DVD or Blu-ray. I still am not quite sure how the movie actually ends. What does this mean for today's generation when kids get bored with things? Because I remember being a kid... And when I watched something that was awesome, I never wanted it to end. 
That's how I felt about, you know, of course, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, Beastmaster. I saw that in the theater as a kid, and I thought that was great. But yeah, it's that on-demand mentality. I truly believe that. As I've said, my kids have tablets, and uh, they're constantly on YouTube. And when something gets boring, yeah, you click over to the next video. So I think he kind of did that in real life. Like, oh, Johan, let's move on to something else. Okay, so I I mentioned... uh Winter Soldier. I love that, too. I am actually, I don't know if you want to put air quotes around it, guilty of actually preferring it over Guardians. I love Guardians. I think it's a great movie. But uh, in terms of just sheer on-the-edge-of-my-seat thrills and just that's the way you make a fucking movie, Winter Soldier just took it all, right? I mean, it's ah so well done. As I said, I believe last podcast... What made Winter Soldier great, and it wasn't my analogy, unfortunately, I read it in another reviewer's um, review online, was it, it was an action movie. It didn't matter that it was a superhero movie and that it was pigeonholed into a genre. It was a kick-ass action movie, and it was definitely the highlight of all the action movies from last year. Yeah, like a 70s spy thriller. I mean, it could give you some James Bond elements to it without being James Bond. It was still exciting because it has got that Marvel feel to it, too, but it's well-grounded. It also... It also actually uh, delivers on the promises that so many sequels don't. It doesn't just give you more of the same. It, this one, you know, like Alien and Aliens, they're, they're completely different movies. The original Captain America is a great nostalgic throwback to, to 1940s, you know, World War II, uh, you know, patriotism and everything and this, that, and the other. And then this one is set in, in now and is a, c- a completely different feel. I'm sitting here thinking, you know... We have the the curse of the trilogies. It seems that the third movie in virtually any franchise is the worst. And I think of, you know, Return of the Jedi. I think of the third Matrix film. Um, they're all just tremendous disappointments after wonderful setups. Do you think Captain America 3 will break that trend of the horrible trilogy? Uh, I think it will. I really, I really do think it will. I mean, they're, they're, I mean the, the talent just that the Russo brothers have. Uh, Joe and Anthony, uh, they're of course getting prepped to work on Civil War. Uh, and now it's come out that Joss Whedon's involvement with, with, uh, Avengers and everything, he's pretty much kind of walking away after Age of Ultron. So that means, well, who's going to handle Infinity War 1 and 2? Well, and now it looks like the Russo brothers are everything but an official press release set out there. But hopefully by the time you guys hear this podcast, uh, they will have signed the dotted line. And I am, I am more than excited to see uh, a creative team that, that took a Marvel property and just took it to the next level in every sense of the word. I, I get a little concerned that they're going to be spreading themselves rather thin. I, I think we talked about them being involved with the uh, with Sony's Ghostbusters reboot, too, the, the male cast, not, not the previously announced all-female cast. So I don't know how many projects they can have their little fingers in before things start getting a little stretched. Yeah, so here we are. It's 2015. You got Civil War debuting May 6th of 2016. Infinity War 1 is May of 2018. Infinity War 2 is May of 2019. So you got four years of solid. I mean, I, I can, I can actually sympathize with the likes of like Michael Bay, who, who ate, drank and, and, and shit Transformers for the past decade of his life, pretty much, uh, making these, you know, call them what you will, big blockbuster money making movies. Uh, and then Marvel, of course, wants to cash in on, on, on a good thing. And, you know, outside of Guardians, um, Winter Soldier was, was one of the biggest money makers 
of the box office of last year. And I can see them wanting to, to do that. I'm not worried about them, um, spreading themselves too thin. I think, you know, uh, you know, production schedules and, and the way things fall out sometimes change over time. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the Russo brothers, you know, they have their, their hands knee deep in civil war. And then maybe they'll go ahead and take Infinity War one, but maybe they'll say, you know, hey, it's too much, guys. Let's let's pull back, and then they go ahead and just get some new blood in there for Infinity War two, but still do like an executive producer credit or something because, you know, the names on there, all the all the people that pay attention to the to the creative teams will know, and they're going to pay attention to that. You know, just like people would go see V for Vendetta, even though it wasn't a Wachowski movie, the Wachowski name was part of the marketing behind that, and um. I think the Russo brothers have have a name and 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 bring a certain uh, credibility to it, whether they're going to be directly involved or not. Yeah, quite obviously, if, if Disney is willing to just literally hand over the reins and say, from this point forward, you're responsible for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, aside from uh, some of the standalone flicks like Black Panther and um, Guardians Two and whatnot. Yeah, but you know, speaking of names, and, and since we're talking about Marvel. For me, anyway, a little sliver of, I don't want to call it bad news, a little bit of disappointment came through. Now, this isn't confirmed, this isn't any type of announcement, but you're familiar with uh, Marvel's Joe Quesada. He's the, the their uh, chief creative officer. Yeah. I guess recently he was doing a little bit of Q&A, and this is on his, his uh, very popular Twitter, uh, not Twitter, Tumblr account, and somebody asked... Um, what he thought the main thing he felt was important in making a successful Spider-Man film. And his answer was, and I'm going to quote directly, is the trick to making any incarnation of Spider-Man great, whether comics, animation, or film, is Peter Parker. Get Peter's character right, and the rest falls into place. Now, what I think Quesada kind of inadvertently did here was tipped his hand that the direction that, that Marvel and uh, Disney are going to go and what they're looking at as Spider-Man is going to be Peter Parker's character uh, reprising the role and not Miles Morales. So, again, a little disappointed, but, I mean, having Spider-Man kind of back in the hands of Marvel and Disney, I think, is going to more than make up for that. Yeah, so so let, let's back up for people who, who weren't following. It's like, I I was I was I've always wanted them to stick with Peter Parker and I know a lot of the internet are like let's give Miles Morales a shot. What was your take again on that? You wanted Peter Parker or the Miles thing? I wanted to see Miles. Uh, Parker's been in five movies, so I wanted to see a little bit of change in that regard. What's kind of weird and and again, you know, this is so far out where we're just talking about rumors and speculation at this point. Having said that, um, I guess recently they were talking, and I just closed the page to have the article open, I'm sorry, but they were talking to um, a 16-year-old actor about coming in and, and reprising the role. We know Marvel and Disney have been pretty vocal about wanting to bring Peter back into that high school age. But what we traditionally see in films is we'll see somebody in their mid-20s, even early 30s, portraying a high school-age student. They're like literally going after a high school-age student. The opinion about what, what Hollywood is doing with the casting thing, they want to skew y- younger and younger all the time. I think at a, at a certain point, that's just going to alienate a certain demographic, right? The older folks, the 30, 40s, 50 somethings. If they think it's just going to be aimed at tweens and teens, I mean, yeah, that's a huge market. And of course, it's, it's very profitable. It's very lucrative and all that. But I mean, you want to make something kind of for everybody, right? You want to, I don't know that it makes too much sense to just keep skewing younger and younger with the whole superhero market. 
I think with Spider-Man in particular, it's a little different. I think with Spider-Man, part of that allure was he didn't have those life experiences that a, a lot of these older people have had. And he's, you know, initially anyway, the, the rookie trying to take down these, these big crime bosses and then eventually his own rogue of, of supervillains. Um, the, the wit, the banter has always been a trademark of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I also think it might be some interesting dynamics to have so Spider-Man kind of, you know, taking a little bit of hazing from the Avengers or Nick Fury because he's the kid. He's the, he's the rookie. So they may be able to do something with that. Yeah, let's hope so. Now I'm checking our chat room. Uh, for those who don't know, every week we record our show on Tuesday evenings, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And we, uh, if you follow us at BB Broadcast on Twitter, uh, we give you a link to join our chat room and listen to our live audio feed. So in our chat room, we got Alan S. Uh, saying, don't know if this will be brought up, but I just saw this on Anime News Network. Don't know how I feel about this. And he's linking to the live-action Zelda series. Uh, I was having a sneaking suspicion that because it was all rumors anyway, that it was not going to, to surface. Nintendo's president, Satoru Iwata, announced that the TV show was just a rumor. In an interview with Time Magazine, Iwata said that there are no current TV or movie crossover plans for Nintendo intellectual properties, and that the Netflix Zelda show was, quote, not based on correct information. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know fans would love to have a live action everything, but, but it's just, it's not, it, it, it just can't happen. And th- there's certain things, we're just now getting to the point where Nintendo finally caved to uh, a mobile platform to bring Mario and, and those those benchmark franchises to the mobile platform where they stand to make millions and millions of dollars creating new apps and new games with these characters uh, so they won't and I, and I don't think they're going to be uh, you know uh, cannibalizing their own business model with 3ds and the development of their new stuff for example as cool as it would be it would be like an overwhelmingly expensive thing any sort of genre uh, budget show whether it's fantasy sci-fi something like that that requires a lot of uh, uh, effects whether they're practical or CG uh, at this point it looks like a lot of the new things like Netflix and Amazon and, and all the new networks of the future the internets and, and the YouTubes of the world um, even they are, are like taking a, a a pause and they're going to go, I don't know if we can do that. It's one thing to do Orange is the New Black or House of Cards and, and one that where there's just drama and you could just shoot in the real world. But once you start involving anything that, that has a budget that could easily, you know, go shoot past a hundred million dollars, you know, I, I could see them taking pause with that. It seems kind of weird for Nintendo in this day and age where it seems Every other company is just throwing whatever they can at the wall to see what will stick. We're getting an Assassin's Creed movie. We're getting a bunch of still, you know, video game related movies that are coming out, even though traditionally video game movies have been relatively horrendous. And I know that that's always been the thorn in, in Nintendo's uh, side because the Super Mario Brothers movie performed so poorly. They're so reluctant to make a move and, and recreate something like that. But that was so long ago. You're talking about a company that had Mario cereal and, and Mario. Uh, uh, Saturday morning cartoon show and, and manga and, and there was a lot of saturation with with Mario in particular. Um, I'm surprised, especially now with, with uh, living in the, the Game of Thrones universe where everybody's just so enamored by that show. Why not have uh, a fantasy film 
dealing with the stars of one of their most popular franchises. And it does sound like it would be a no-brainer because it has such a huge built-in audience. But I, you know, again, it, it comes back to you know how much are they willing to uh, pull the trigger on budget-wise? And but you know, yeah. it, it, it's kind of like the superhero market where these characters have transcended Americana. They're they're the property of the world now. People in, in all corners know Spider-Man and Superman and Batman. Well, they're also equally familiar with Nintendo's incredibly iconic character roster. So, I mean, fuck, at this point, do a Super Smash Brothers game uh, movie where you can bring in all these characters and bring in Sonic and Solid Snake and everything. I mean, just go for broke. Go with this fucking massive crossover that would make a movie like Justice League or The Avengers seem small. <laughs> I guess that uh, I guess we are at that point where where epic has to be redefined. I think like a sixty character game. That's pretty. I mean, a movie is pretty fucking epic. <laughs> I like how you confuse game and movie nowadays because <laughs> they are the games are movies, movies are games. It's, it just it, it doesn't roll off the tongue very naturally. It's it's because of that, you know. But when you have a game based on a movie, it's almost always shit. I, I don't get it where, you know, the games could be incredibly popular. Again, the movies are almost destined to fail and everything else is, is virtually destined to fail. Um, I'm glad some properties weren't touched. I'm a big God of War fan and there were have been rumors for years that, you know, all the rocks going to play Kratos. And I'm glad it didn't cheapen those franchises. Um, Infamous, of course, the other big one with me. Kind of glad they didn't go in that direction. I've never played an Assassin Creed game, so I may be able to go into the movie and who knows? I might enjoy myself. The people who have played the games be like, oh, they fucked that up, and this is wrong, and that's butchered. So I can kind of, uh, I liken it to when I went to go see um, the first couple of Harry Potter movies, because after that, I just couldn't go see them theatrically anymore. I never read the books, but my wife did. So I would go in totally, you know, blank. And, and at the end, go, well, you know, it was all right. And my wife's like, oh, my God, they fucked this part up and they fucked that part up and they didn't get to that part. And so for once, I was kind of happy to go in and enjoy it. It's tougher with the, the comic book movies because I'm so ingrained in, in the history of these characters that I'll, I'll nitpick a little bit. But I'm getting older, too, so the visuals are easily distracting me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ooh, shiny. Ooh, that's pretty. What happened? I don't know. I don't care, really. I didn't read it. I just like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I, I had the same problem. I didn't read any of the Harry Potters. I watched a couple of the movies, and I'm like, eh, they're all the same. It's like, it's all right. I can think of worse ways to spend a night, but I'm, I'm not on the edge of my seat. I'm not totally invested in all that. And there's something else that I'm not familiar with, but I, I am, I can totally see the catastrophe coming because it's happened before. Um, DuckTales, the reboot series, we confirmed, you know, recently, that um, they are creating a brand new series based on that, and a lot of that's a lot of nostalgia bomb for for a lot of people. Uh, looks like original Launchpad voice actor Terry McGovern has has said um, that the original voice cast will not be returning. They're going to use an all new cast. Uh, Terry says, "Quote: I am heartsick. Bad news. This is not a life or death situation, but it feels like one. Disney is rebooting Ducktales. Here's the bad news for me and the rest of the original cast: they are recasting." A very sweet woman called me from their offices to impart this development just moments ago. It was considerate of them, but it was not what I wanted to hear. When she first introduced herself on the phone that she was calling on behalf of DuckTales, I thought, wow, the band's getting back together. Alas, it's going to be a new band, so someone else will play Launchpad McQuack. 
I haven't told Launchpad himself yet. He's in the garage tinkering with a thunderquack. I just don't have the heart to tell him. But I will. Just don't tell him until I do, okay? Thanks for the sympathy. I wish the new cast well. Th- this sort of thing also happened with uh, a new Powerpuff Girls reboot. People were um, tweeting at uh, Tara Strong, who voices Bubbles. And, and she said, nope, sorry, they didn't ask any of us to come back for that. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing that uh, now in the age of social media... And a lot of these voice cast, the voice cast are still viable. They're still working and, and they're, they're getting more exposure than ever before. Why would they, why would they, they toss that all aside in the name of, you know, again, let's go after younger. Let's, let's skew younger. Let's cast younger. Even though these, these veteran, uh, voice actors could totally nail that short, sort of shit. Maybe it's a nickel and dime thing. Maybe because you can get voice actors who aren't as established, don't have as strong representation, who are going to fight for every cent. So maybe the bottom line is just a cheaper alternative. My question for you as a professional voice actor is, if you get a call from your agent to go in and audition for one of these roles, I mean, you understand these things happen in business. But do you feel any guilt? Is there a little tinge of guilt when you're auditioning for those characters? Oh, yeah. I remember uh, the Futurama debacle years ago. The cast were uh, kind of just going button heads over at Fox, you know, over their salaries for a new season of Futurama. And they kind of, whether it was, you know, a bluff or not, they went ahead and put a casting notice. It's like, hey, we're, you know, we're casting for Futurama. And all of the core cast members, those roles were up for grabs. And uh, uh, some people like Bob Bergen, who is another veteran voice actor, he voices Porky Pig. He had nothing to do with Futurama, but he said, "Do not take these these roles away from these actors. This is just a this is just a bluff. Don't worry, uh, and all that stuff." And I would feel like crap if um, you know it became a money issue, and it's like, okay, I, I landed this role, but I I didn't land this role in the most <laughs> ideal of situations you know it, it became a money issue or it became it's like okay we've got these veteran people and we've made a lot of money off this property and their involvement so instead of thinking they deserve a slice of the pie well we're going to say fuck you and we're just going to go back to a newer cast because yeah i'm, I'm unfortunately unfortunately i'm on on the page with you there about they want to save money and uh, what they don't understand is you you you, <laughs> you tweak things too much people People revolt that this happens anytime you change a, an English dub cast in anime. If you change voices with a cartoon cast, that can, that can be controversial. You had Warner Brothers with lunatics, an entire revamping of classic Warner Brothers characters and turning them into dark, gritty superheroes, and that totally, totally imploded on itself. Uh, I don't think this is a, this is a wise decision to to start recasting these things, especially. If you have the old cast willing to come back, you know I kind of feel bad whoever does get cast in those leading roles because, I mean, it could be a very competent voice actor or voice actress, but the first year or two is going to be miserable going to cons because you know you're constantly going to get that question: Why you? Why not the original cast? And that's going to be horrible for uh, not only getting time away to spend time with the fans and having to be, be repeatedly asked that, but you're already dealing with a certain, as we discussed, uh, amount of guilt that you kind of got through all to begin with, and you're being constantly reminded that 
yeah, you know, you are what you are, but we'd rather see that original person doing that. It's like it's it's cool that you're Batman, but you know you're not Kevin Conroy. It's like you're right. I'm not Kevin Conroy, and I would I would feel like crap. That would be that would overwhelm me far more than oh my god, I get to play Batman. Yeah, because constantly, what happened to Kevin Conroy? Why didn't they sign Kevin Conroy? How did you end up with this? And I mean, through no fault of your own, naturally, you're trying to pay your bills like everybody else, but. That, that fan uh, relationship with those voices. Some people have a hard time letting go. There was a big deal, as I know you recall, um, from the Canadian dub of Dragon Ball Z and the transition into Funimation's uh, US-based dub of, of Dragon Ball Z. There was a lot of resistance at first, a lot of bitching, a lot of arguing. Now, of course, that's what we expect to hear. I expect to hear you as adult Gohan and Chris as Piccolo and Vegeta and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but that transition was really difficult, and I, I'm pretty sure the whole cast, to a certain extent, kind of caught some flack during that time. Let's uh, let, let's talk about uh, another nostalgia bomb. Let's see, uh, do we have details on this new Fraggle Rock movie? Oh my god, I am so down with Fraggle Rock. Um, I, I watched the shit out of that as a kid. Uh, that was a pretty religious thing. And uh, a lot of people are saying, well, it's close to April 1st, but it's not quite, so this can't be a, a joke. But apparently... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is making a Fraggle Rock movie. I, I hope to God um, Henson is doing this. Uh, I don't know if you watch any shows on sci-fi, but I kind of dig um, the Henson contest. Um, not Face Off, but the other one. Um, there's another one. It's, it's in the exact same vein of Face Off, but they make Muppets instead. And growing up on Sesame Street, the Muppet show, uh, Fraggle Rock... It's so cool to see the other side, to see the the fabrication of puppeteered characters, to see some of the different technology that's around, um, because things aren't necessarily necessarily your hand up a puppet's ass and and your your fingers in the mouth type deal anymore. There's all kind of rotors and motors and gears and all these things that do all these crazy things. So um, I just dig the shit out of it. I, I just dig that premise of seeing Muppets being put together. I like it because, from every indication anyways, it's going to be another um, puppetized show. It's not something that's moving into the realm of CG that we've talked about with, with so many different things from our childhood being redone in an all-computer-generated environment. So if this is coming to a, a major network with Muppets, I, I've got to say I'm entirely on board. You're probably going to catch the same shit as what we were just talking about, you know. Why didn't you hire this person to voice that character again? Why didn't you bring this person back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, money. We want to save money. And, and I don't know what, um, well, going back to the DuckTales thing, I don't know if they're going to have that air on, on broadcast television or make it internet only or for, for their, their, their cable division. Uh, all that, all that is just different distribution models, different residuals. In fact, that was, uh, we've talked about this before too, how the, in the voiceover realm, a lot of, uh, animated projects, uh, going to things like Netflix and all that, uh, people are going to lose on the back end. You know, there's no residuals involved. Whereas, you know, the old cartoon model was that it aired on TV, it syndicated rights, I mean, this, that, and the other. Everyone gets residuals. So, all these classic cartoon voice actors, they could put their kids through college. They got so much money that, the, you know, they could uh, get new cars, get mansions, or, or just really nice houses and live the high life. And now the next generation of actors are like, how am I going to pay my rent? 
you know, I got paid once for the 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 session or to to work on the on the set, and then now, I mean, that's just done, and the rest of the profit gets eaten, eaten up by the the major corporate conglomerates there. It's incredibly interesting to listen to the um, commentaries when they released the uh, Star Wars, the the classic trilogy. The special edition, unfortunately, but I'm kind of surprised with some of the the stuff they let. Ford and Fisher said some, I guess, you know, some really nasty things about making Star Wars, and they let this stuff go through about uh, Harrison Ford's famous "faster and more intense." And any time they blew a take because George was so shitty dealing with actors, his response was always, "Do that again, faster and more intense." Um, more so, back on topic, Carrie Fisher talks about how, you know, she still to this day she feels very raped on the whole merchandising deal where Lucasfilm and Fox just made so much money on the sales of action figures and other associated merchandise that she said, you know, it's to the point where I get up in the morning and look in the mirror and I owe George Lucas a, a royalty check because of her likeness. Um, Alec Guinness is the only one who walked away with that franchise with any money because he demanded points before you get involved with the project. So I don't want to say it's traditional Hollywood stylings, but yeah, I mean, there's really no incentive for Hollywood to continue to pay somebody for a project until they're passing. I know that was a little morbid, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I agree, but I can see where Hollywood's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to have to pay this guy residuals for the next 60 years just because he did this role once in this one thing. Yeah, but again, we can hope for the best. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a very, very well-respected and loved uh, celeb. And having his name attached to these things are going to help, you know, just like him producing Sandman movie, you know, maybe uh, that'll get that out of production hell uh, for Neil Gaiman's thing. That's my favorite comic book series of all time. And, um, you know, uh, keeping and, and the Muppets, you know, they, they, they made money. They didn't make as much money as, the, you know, the studio hoped, obviously. But uh, if, if they keep trying that stuff, you know, maybe let's like let's put a Fraggle Rock movie out there. Let's bring back, uh, let's go back to the Labyrinth World or the Dark Crystal World. You know, that stuff's been languishing in production hell too. It's like I want to see that shit come back. I want I want today's generation to appreciate, you know, what what the Muppets can bring. A few more details about the Fraggle Rock project. Muppet um, is collaborating with Lisa Henson, which is definitely very cool. Um, this is a project that's being developed for a new regency, and Justin Gordon-Levitt is not only producing this, but he's also going to star in it, presumably as the person who owns the dog in the house where the fraggles inhabit. So very, very cool to see Lisa Henson attached to this. Um, I forget um, Jim Henson's uh, son's name, the one who's... Oh, Brian. Brian, who, who was the, uh, the president currently of um, the corporation. He is so much like his dad, and... and uh, he has his dad's passion, and I think that's really what it comes down to. You're you're in an industry where this component, anyway, really needs that passion, that that direction. And I like to see him uh, filling his father's shoes very well. So I think this property is going to be handled relatively well. And again, this is, um, as far as I recall, Muppets are a Disney property, so it's going to probably have a little bit of money behind this production as well. Let's <laughs> toss in a big crossover with Marvel and Star Wars. Just, just, just throw it all together into the blender, and you know, give them a theme park presence. Why the fuck not? You know, I think all that's just just a matter of time. I think we're gonna hit that point of saturation. Like this, let's throw everything together. <laughs> exactly. So even more nostalgia bomb, but uh, maybe emphasize bomb more than nostalgia. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, ramping up production. <laughs> Oh, God. 
Uh, that movie came and, and went, and uh, I guess it made enough money to greenlight a sequel, huh? I have very little about this. Uh, only very little has been released. But apparently it's going to begin filming next month. I mean, how's that for hype? We haven't heard anything about it. And all of a sudden, this thing's going into production next month. It's going to be filming in New York City and in Buffalo. Now, the one thing that might get some fans' attentions is um, the the producer, the, the current producer for this film, has stated very openly and definitively that Bebop and Rocksteady are going to be the villains in this film. So people have been asking for this for as long as the Turtles have been coming back in different iterations with different uh, cartoon series and even the, the last few animated films. Where's Bebop? Where's Rocksteady? That was part of 80s childhood and nostalgia. So that's confirmed. And, and as much as you hated the first one, your curiosity might be piqued enough just to go see Bebop and Rocksteady. And also, I guess there's... um a good possibility you're also going to see Casey Jones as well. Yeah. Um, now, I still have not watched enough Ninja Turtles in any form to to really get drawn to it one way or another. I have a sneaking suspicion. Did you read the original comic books? You know I did, and I got to say, it didn't spoil me. Um, they didn't wear different colored headbands. Of course, uh, for the uninitiated, the original run was done in black and white, like like uh, manga is. That was just solely to keep down the cost to try to get this book out. So there were the different color recognitions. Um, they wore Metallica t-shirts and, and played heavy metal guitar. So I got very spoiled to that. And then seeing the, the cowabunga, pizza-eating, skateboarding turtles was kind of a little turnoff to me at first, but I was young enough where I adapted to it. So, yeah, I've, I've been following Turtles from, from Go until recently, and I still love the Nickelodeon uh, series that's currently airing now. So the Bebop and Rock City thing, almost enough, I think, to at least kind of pique my curiosity. Puts it on my radar somewhat. Ah, okay. All right. Now, uh, now on, on the nostalgia train again, this one's much better news, I think. Um, finally, after many years, when you think something's dead, and then it comes back. We're talking about X-Files, baby. Yeah, Mulder and Scully coming back uh, for a new series. But don't get too excited, because it's only six new episodes. But apparently, uh, creator Chris Carter is like, this is the perfect time to, to bring these characters back and explore because a lot has happened since, since the story ended those years ago. And, you know, the cult following, the audience, the fans are, are still clamoring for that. And every time I, I would, I would see David Duchovny do different projects like Californication and all that, that and the other. It's like, I don't know, man. I know actors hate that when they get pigeonholed into one sort of thing, but that's what you see them as. It's like, no, you got to come back. Don't make a, a, a shitty movie. Just go back to the series. Let, 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 let's give this a nice, well-rounded send-off. I love The X-Files. I, I thought The X-Files was great. Um, part of the allure, I think, was Chris, Hart, Chris Carter handled the show really well. I was introduced to some things on a historical aspect I wasn't even aware of until I watched The X-Files. So he actually did a bit of history homework putting the stuff together, um, in particular like uh, Project Paperclip, as mentioned numerous times with the, the German scientists being brought over to the U.S. to work on the alien project in the X-Files universe. But, you know, Project Paperclip was real, and we really did bring German scientists over to the U.S. to work on our military endeavors. So can't say it enough. Love the X-Files. The problem I had with X-Files over time was, you know, um, sometimes it gets hard to keep going with this arc, episode after episode, season after season. I think it was uh, seven seasons in total. And sometimes you ended up with some, unfortunately, really crappy Monster of the Week shows, and... 
when they strayed away from the arc and they introduced these kind of silly premises, it lost a lot for me. So at first I was kind of bummed. What do you mean only six episodes? But then I thought, you know, honestly, after this time of waiting for more X-Files, I'd rather have six quality episodes than a few seasons of hit or miss episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to a point where I was watching it religiously and then... I, I just stopped. I think I ran out of tape. Back then, there was VHS, right? And I would just start compiling. It's like, this is my X-Files collection. And then I started running out of tapes and not buying new ones. So I have to tape over old episodes. And then I just fucking get lost. And I then, you know, it just, it just ran its, it ran its course. You know, it, it, um. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had two seasons without David Duchovny at all. Um, I think I bought the first four seasons on VHS. I, I had those for a while. The one thing that's always confused me about this press release, though, is the reason they're citing for the short order is, and I'm going to quote this, the feeling was that it would be easier for the always-in-demand Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny to schedule a block of time to shoot the revival with a shorter order. Now, my question is, are they really in that demand? <laughs> are, there, are their calendars so booked that they couldn't sign on to an ongoing series? I, I hate to sound cynical in that regard, but I don't see their names being thrown around a lot. I'm thinking it's more... Well, David Duchovny has been more in... The, in he's been working more than Gillian Anderson, I think, because he's been busy being a mom, as far as I understand. I think it's more a case of... We know that there's an interest in it. We know that people would watch it, but we don't know how lucrative, how much, how much return on the investment will there be. So it's easier to just say, let's do a mini series like Marvel and Disney with Agent Carter. It's like, this is cool. We know people will want it, but let's just dip our toes in first before we, we get into this whole season committal stuff and then contracts and this, that and the other thing. Sure. And I have no problem with that. And more so to what I was saying where, you know, maybe we'll get six really, really, really solid episodes. Um, and if that's the case and, and it turns into a series, great. But if I can still get six really solid episodes of X-Files, one thing that's really cool too, and I apologize for not mentioning this earlier, is I guess part of what they're going to be doing in this six episode arc is rectifying, uh, uh, fixing some of the, the historical, I don't want to say inaccuracies, but some of the things that didn't go quite well. Um, in particular, the series finale and then the two movies. So they're going to try to go in and, I don't know, kind of pull a X-Men Days of Future Past on it and make it more cohesive and get rid of some of the crappy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on I'm on board with what you're saying there. When you when you get a mini series, if you can get six super taut, well paced, you know, just knock it out of the ballpark episodes, that's much more enjoyable than giving you uh you know a 24 episode season where it's really hit and miss. There's a bunch of filler. There's you know just it's like maybe one or two nuggets of really really good stuff, and then the rest just kind of like oh, okay, here's monster of the week. This ending there. Oh, a mytho a mythology episode, and then we go back to the episode of the monster of the week, and then no 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Let, let let let's change it up. So, I I think that decision is good. Even though people would probably want say, give me a full season, damn it! Don't give me a little, little taste. But a taste is a, is a great opportunity to stay uh, intensely focused. And you know, of course, what we haven't brought up is just the fact that they're bringing back <clears throat> David Duchovny and Julie Anderson speaks volumes because Fox could very easily have ordered a reboot without utilizing either of those characters. 
That's right. And then make them both 16 as they, uh, they graduate high school early and go to Quantico for the FBI training. And, you know, we got confirmation today that, um, Independence Day 2 is going to start filming really soon. And they've, uh, named the cast and the majority of the cast from the first iteration is coming back. But the one name that isn't being dropped is Will Smith. So again, you know, could we have had X files with, unknowns or one of them wouldn't come back it, it wouldn't feel the same so i'm still kind of in shock that um they got will smith attached to suicide squad i mean on a team-based effort will smith is usually you know he wants to carry his own film he's turned down roles for that very reason it's like i'm not the main focus he turned down quentin tarantino uh, in Django Unchained, for that reason, it's like, I'm not really the main character in this. <laughs> but over the last few years, he really hasn't been performing as well as he should have. I mean, Hancock was a bomb, and the movie with his son was a bomb. So um, part of it could be brand recognition. He certainly still has that brand. So if you're willing to throw a bunch of money at that brand and on the posters, you know, Smith and, and big white letters, people might go, yeah, I want to go check out Suicide Squad. Because really... A lot of people don't know what Suicide Squad is by title alone. A lot of people no. may not associate it with a, a comic brand. So, yeah, you see Will Smith, boom. Independence Day, it, it kind of sounds to me almost like what Disney was going through with Robert Downey Jr., where you just want so much money, and then you start weighing, well, how is this going to fuck up the production if we pay you what you want? So I, I can see both happening. I want to talk about the the new Mission Impossible Rogue Nation trailer drop this past week. Unexpectedly, you know, there was no hype. There was no, you know, Vine. There was no trailer of a trailer coming. It just kind of just popped up. And, you know, I watched it and it's like, yeah, it's, it's all right. I loved uh, Ghost Protocol, the last one. I saw it in IMAX like two or three times. It was fan-fucking-tastic. Um, this trailer kind of left me a little like, meh. Although, yeah, it's impressive. That's Tom Cruise uh, holding on to the side of a plane as it takes off. Uh, I'll give him that. He's, he's got balls. <laughs> you know, it's like, how are we going to top climbing the, the the tallest you know building structure in the world? Uh, like, okay, well, I'll I'll just hang on to the side of a plane. Uh, and I saw this t- talked about uh, online. How um, I think it was on Mashable or Huff Huff Post about how. Uh, why are they ruining action movies by, you know, trying to ground everything in the real world? It's like, let's show you how this stunt was done. And the movie's not even out yet. You know, Furious 7, you know, same thing, was showing this big spectacular action sequence. Uh, everyone's talking about it. It's, it's the water cooler topic of the day. And then they say, how was it done? Da, 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 da. And the movie's not even out yet. Uh, and then by the time the movie's out, people have already probably moved on to a million other things. And, you know, are they blowing their wad? Are they showing the money shot, literally, uh, in, in, in the trailer? So, like, is there nothing left? There's no sense of excitement anymore? Again, I, I just think it's what's going to grab you the quickest. We need to show you all the action. This is what you want to come see, the action. And, yeah, it's funny retroactively to, to look back at some films and go, yeah, they gave away the end of the trailer. You may not have caught it at the time, but... Which is interesting because a lot of people have commented, they, they say they're familiar with the project, but what we've seen in the Star Wars Episode Seven teaser, um, from what people are saying, that's all stuff that takes place very early in the film. You really haven't seen anything yet, so I kind of dig that. Yeah, and uh, now we have two major Hollywood movies with Rogue in the title. 
<laughs> Road and one. Did somebody right? say what, was that capitalizing on it? Because that announcement, I believe, came after the um, Rogue Squadron announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or is it Rogue One? Is that the name of the movie? Rogue, yeah, something like Rogue One. Yeah, <laughs> is that capitalizing? I, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Let's uh, you know, not that Mission Impossible needs to capitalize on anything. That 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 franchise has managed to do gangbusters. I mean, all of them um, have made just a shit ton of money. I hate to be that guy, but um, at BB Broadcast Kids, um, I'm just I'm done with Tom Cruise. And I know he's an actor, and I know you're supposed to remove whatever's going on in reality and, <clears throat> and go in uh, and enjoy it. It's probably going to be a great you know summer popcorn flick and action explosions, very Michael Bay-ish or whatever. Um but ever since you know he was jumping on Oprah's couch, I just had a hard time taking him seriously. And uh, if anybody's watched the, the South Park episodes dealing with Scientology, and, and you get a real understanding for what that's all about, it just, in my eyes, makes him lose even more credibility. So, I, yeah, I, I feel bad as a geek to say that. His personal life should not impact how I perceive him on screen, but he's one of the very few cases where it does. And I just, I can't even pretend to get excited about him doing anything from this point forward. Now, I, on the other hand, I mean, I'm on board with the Mission Impossible series just because I think they are just fantastic action set pieces and pacing. Again, Ghost Protocol, you know, um, Brad Bird, you know, for years we said, make Incredibles. And then he crossed over into live action. And then he did that as his first live action movie. And it fucking blew everyone away. Made a shit ton of money. And now he's doing Tomorrowland. Uh, the movie, which also looks fantastic uh, for Disney. Although this, this uh, following the previous Mission Impossible things, it's a different director. Uh, I forget. It's, it escapes me who is handling this one uh, for Mission Impossible 5. Or as it is now called, Rogue Nation. Um, I've been able to, to set it apart. No problem. And there was a, one other Tom Cruise movie that I think is worth your time, Steve. If you, if he can get past it, if he can, is try, uh, live, die, repeat. I'm sorry. Edge of tomorrow, as it was called, uh, released theatrically. And then they put it on video and they put live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow on there, almost as if that were a subtitle. It's like live, die, repeat was a better title. It probably would have done better in, 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 in theaters, but. That movie uh, was so good. It's like a sci-fi version of Groundhog Day, and he is not the typical Tom Cruise character. I highly recommend that to anyone out there who hasn't seen Edge of Tomorrow, which is a terrible title. <laughs> Alan S. in the chat is like, yes, <laughs> go watch that. Um, All you need is kills, based on a manga, yeah. I should remind them I have um, Firefly sitting in shrink wrap over here. Serenity, I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, still, yeah. Still yeah. sitting in shrink wrap. Um, yeah, I make it around to it some year. <laughs> Tom Cruise is pretty good in Tropic Thunder, says John LaPiana in our chat. Yeah, that's true. Did you see Tropic Thunder, Steve? I did not. Um, I, I think the only thing I really recognize him from is um, the the Air Force movie there, Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. And The Outsiders, which was probably like at the beginning of his career. But I don't know if I've ever talked about that, but that is a fucking awesome movie. I haven't watched it in a while. I don't know if it really still stands up. But, I mean, you had the introduction of, like, all these stars. You, you had C. Thomas Howell and and uh, uh, Emilio Estevez and, and just on and on and on and on. Patrick Swayze. Uh, I, that was a great movie. Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, Francis Ford Coppola. That, I I didn't see that in the theater, but it it ran all the time on cable, and I would watch it, and it's like, 
this is the type of movie I'm not normally interested in. I don't care about this sort of shit, but it was just done really, really well. I don't know if it, it, it holds up. I haven't watched it lately. I feel like seeing if that's on Netflix or not. The Outsiders. Yeah. I'm thinking that too. Like after the podcast, fuck going to sleep. I'm going to watch The Outsiders. <laughs> I even read the book quite a few times. And the book was interesting because it, for the most part, follows the plot of the film. Or should I say the film follows the plot of the book for the most part. But the book has a, a whole additional chapter about a lot of the fallout. So entertaining on both fronts, kids. Uh, S.E. Hitton, if you can find The Outsiders paperback, definitely give it a read. I thought it was really cool, too, because to me, that was one of the earliest uh, movie cameos that I can recall, is that they had S.E. Hitton actually in the film. She portrayed one of the nurses when Johnny was in the hospital. So, that was very cool. And as uh, as John Lapana Vio says in the chat, do it for Johnny! <laughs> do it for Johnny, man! Yeah, Matt Dillon, man. Doing it for Johnny. Yeah. That was great. That was such a nostalgia rush for me. <laughs> Amazon just got permission from the FAA to start testing its delivery drones in the U.S. Okay, um... I can't help but think that someone is going to just shoot down drones and steal people's shit. You know, prior to this press release, I really thought it was a joke. I didn't think there was any way, no way, no how this was ever going to go forward. I thought Amazon's just talking about, hey, maybe one day in the future when we're living like the Jetsons. But no, the FAA, uh, and this is, I believe this came out today. The FAA issued a special, quote, experimental airworthiness certificate to Amazon. And Amazon had announced their plans initially in December of, of 2013. And they actually filmed the highlight reel. But when they filmed the highlight reel of the drones with the packages, this was actually filmed outside of the U.S. And they did it to avoid um, running afoul of FAA regulations. I guess what happened after that was that Amazon threatened to take the entire thing overseas if the FAA didn't work with them. So finally, the FAA has decided to work with them in this venture. They have uh, published a few of its proposed rules already. And right now it seems very limited because uh, part of these rules and exemptions insist that the drones remain in the line of sight of the pilot at all times. And in Amazon's case, they also have to have at least a private pilot's certification and current medical certification. So those restrictions make sense for initial testing, but if that's what the FAA is going to put on them when they roll out, it's going to be really, really, really difficult for them to actually do this on a large scale unless they plan on opening a million more distribution centers. I, I see these things just, you know, it'll be programmed to land in, you know someone's apartment complex and there's going to be like all these kids around there and they're all just going to like start tearing into other people's shit like get off my delivery and you know people stealing shit you think oh is this a new vcr or is this some vitamins i don't know um yeah when when your 4k 105 inch tv comes down for a landing (laughs) everybody in the neighborhood's whacking it like a pinata yeah, wagging it uh, like a piano, or it just fucking malfunctions and, and drops all your shit and breaks it, or it lands on someone and kills them. Part of me is saying, you know, we're going to look back on this and laugh when this is the norm. People are going to listen to this podcast 10 years from now and say, oh my God, these guys thought it was never going to happen. And, and it's totally normal for them. It's normal if you want a Big Mac at 2 o'clock in the morning to bring up uh, McDonald's on your computer and have a drone bring you over a Big Mac, it it might become very commonplace. 
I think absolutely there are a lot of hurdles to get over. And I don't know how they're going to get over all of those hurdles. How do you get over, as you said, somebody shooting a drone out of the sky? Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of federal regulations about that, and people are probably going to suffer some pretty stiff penalties. But you're talking Amazon, so you're talking probably conservatively, at any given time, 200,000 drones in U.S. airspace. Um, yeah, I think you're going to have problem after problem after problem. And again, the reason we don't have flying cars is because of those three-dimensional crashes. You crash <laughs> no. in the road, your car stays in the road. When you crash in three dimensions, anything can happen. You go through somebody's window, hit somebody's car, fall on somebody's head. Yeah, it's like you survive the crash midair, and then you plummet to your death. Yeah, and it goes for your package as well. That's right. And then and then the drones will start crashing into each other. You know, uh, they bump into each other midair, and then the wrong one gets delivered, and you get someone's pampers instead of your brand-new 4K television. I thought you were going to say somebody's panties, and I'm like, yeah, that might not be too bad, depending on whose they are. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a market? Can you get someone's panties? Do people still do that shit? I know eBay... Uh, said no people more still do that and from time to time i'll come across articles like on sites like crack.com and it's still like ridiculously lucrative you'll come across i see what you did there i've thought about it um it, it, <laughs> you thought about it I, I thought hey pose as a chick find some public domain pictures yeah that's me and these are my underwear and if you want me to rub them up against my junk before i throw them in a box sure for an extra 50 bucks <laughs> But, you know, having said that, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to pick on anybody's kinks or whatever, but I have a problem. A lot of these girls are talking very openly about the fact they sell their, their undergarments online and make tons of money doing it. Um, but they get a lot of requests to like, you know, oh, send them with skid marks. And that's uh. just twisted. That, that takes it to a whole new level. So if that's your kink, whatever, I'm just saying me personally, I can do without the skids. I, I think on that topic, we're, we're, we're going to draw this episode to a close here. We're, we're, we're skid marking panties and underwear. On the Geek News Podcast, we want to thank Alan S., John LaPiana, and Sigmund88 for dropping by our chat room. Again, we do our live audio stream on Tuesday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BBBroadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com. <laughs>